0: Hey everyone, this is Catherine, and you'll hear my voice in today's interview. As you may know if you've listened to our last episode, we recently received a grant from the Citizen Diplomacy Action Fund, which is part of the U.S. Department of State, to record oral histories from the Cold War, and this episode was produced in part with that funding. So I spoke with Tatiana Kim, who's from an island between Russia and Japan called Sakhalin, And today, Sakhalin's part of Russia, but for a long time it was this highly contested area and split between Russia and Japan. I had never even heard of Sakhalin until very recently. My guess is that unless you have an extensive knowledge of East Asian history, you probably haven't either. I first heard about it in the podcast 99% Invisible. Tatiana, who I interviewed, actually co-produced an episode of 99PI. It's fantastic. I highly, highly recommend you check it out, in part because that episode actually does a better job of giving a big-picture overview of the island's history. That episode is called Hometown Village, and we'll link to it in the show notes. To give a very rough, incomplete background, the island of Sockland was fought over for many years because it's valuable. It has a lot of natural resources. In the early 1900s, Japan controlled the southern half of Sakhalin and had also taken over Korea. And the Japanese needed people to work the land in Sakhalin, so some Korean families moved there voluntarily to work, others were forced by the Japanese and separated from their loved ones. So there was this mix of Japanese and Koreans, and then fast forward a few decades, and the island is totally controlled by Russia, or the Soviet Union as it was then, because Japan had been defeated in World War II. But because of the Cold War and the Korean War that was part of that conflict, most Koreans on Sokland couldn't make it back to Korea and had no clue what was happening on the peninsula. Finally, the Iron Curtain fell in 1989, but there was really no formal repatriation program for Korean families on Sokland to return to Korea until the early 2000s. And at that point, South Korea had basically become a different country from what it was in the early 1900s. And then for those who did decide to participate in the repatriation program, they were leaving their Soklin families behind. So there was this fragmentation twice, first when Koreans moved to the island and then when that same generation came back to Korea. Tatiana will explain in much more detail what this was like and also why she loves Soklin. And seriously, if you find this conversation interesting, definitely listen to the episode of 99% Invisible that she produced. Okay, let's get into the interview. I guess just to start, can you tell me um, a little bit about where you grew up in Russia? Mhm.
1: I was born in the 80s, 1988. So, uh, and I was born in a small town really in the far east of Russia. So, when people when you say Russia, people normally imagine somewhere close to Moscow. So, to get from Moscow to where I grew up, it takes 8 hours by plane. But yeah, it's uh, it's a um, little island and it's about a couple of hours flight from japan actually and uh so it's very it's closer to japan korea that part of the world than uh to actually russia that we got used to knowing and it's a small town it's called yuzhna sakhalinsk uh the whole island is called sakhalin yuzhna sakhalinsk is kind of like a regional uh, city center in the in the 80s and 90s it was really uh kind of undeveloped almost like people used coal for heating the houses in many cases um i remember we still had like outside toilet you know (laughs) so it wasn't it wasn't very developed wasn't much jobs people were going to mainland but um then in the 90s it started to rapidly change because of the oil and gas projects so the, um, after the basically the collapse of USSR, many places started to open up and the foreign uh, companies started to cooperate with many uh, Russian companies or Russian government at this point. So Sakhalin
0: is rich with oil and gas. Did your family work in the natural resources industry there? Um, how did you all... And, and also, how did you all end up in Sakhalin? Because of the history...
1: Uh, Sakhalin is the island where you can find a big diaspora of Koreans so the majority of cases people either traveled voluntarily from Korea uh, back in the before the war before the uh, in the 30s to make some additional money because at that time Korea was a rural agricultural country and it was a colony of Japan really so In Korea, you wouldn't, in South Korea especially, you wouldn't find uh, a lot of jobs. And ironically, North Korea was actually more developed in the 30s uh, than South Korea. So majority of population who ended up on Sakhalin are actually from South Korea. And um, so people either worked, uh, traveled to Sakhalin in the search of more money, because at that time, uh, the southern part of Sakhalin was under the Japanese control uh, in in the 30s. Because of the Russian-Japanese War in the 1905 19, uh, where you Russian Empire actually lost and had to give up some of its territory to to Japan. Japan started to use more resources for the war, the internal resources, so they had their less resources to develop or extract the the natural resources from the from the land. At that time, uh, even Japanese recognized that Sakhalin was rich in, you know, coal at that time. Not as much as oil, but coal was a big industry on Sakhalin. So, and Japanese used that, but there wasn't enough, like, men, because everybody was conscripted to go to war. So they brought a lot of Koreans from Korea. The, The people say that they lived in horrible conditions, they were paid really little just to survive on. They were forced to stay on the contract for longer than they expected. They were brought from Korea to cold Sakhalin. And I need to say that Sakhalin does have quite cold winters in comparison even with Korea. In many, many cases, people were just had were forced to say goodbye to the family, sometimes not even parents, but even spouses and kids, and leave them behind. And they thought it would be like, okay, a couple of years Job tops, and they would come back. The thing were happening very quickly at that time. In 1945, um, Russia at that time, USSR, came to Sakhalin, and uh, they basically invaded the island. And the uh, Japanese lost the war, or at least were on the lost side of the war. And um, the southern part of Sakhalin came back to USSR. So it became a part of USSR. And uh, USSR had a policy against any foreign countries. So they had the Iron Curtain. And this Iron Curtain fell really quickly. Uh, Japanese basically repatriated their own citizens, but Koreans were left behind just because Koreans were not really considered uh, Japanese citizens. And so Koreans on Sakhalin were in that limbo where Korea still as a government or as a country really didn't exist yet, Japanese started to say, you are not our citizens anymore. And USSR really, I guess, did not make up their mind yet about that. So for Koreans, though, USSR was not a country they were born in, they were living in, the whole thing about USSR was so foreign. With Japan, at least, with Japanese on the island, the people could blend in they look they looked a little bit alike, you know they they knew many cases they knew the language. most of the people knew the language, so they could communicate. But when the Russians came, that was a completely different story they they looked completely different. I mean, the language was unknown to them. So people wanted to go back. and uh, USSR really wasn't any hard to send them anywhere just because. USSR realized that with so many people living in Sakhalin at that time, they needed some uh, manpower to develop the island. And uh, Koreans were actually in the best position to do that because they already knew the weather, they knew the plants, they know what to eat, what to not to eat, you know, and they were more adjusted than Russians. And to kind of get them assimilated more into Soviet society, um... USSR brought people, Koreans from mainland, those who migrated to Russian Empire a long time ago willingly and were assimilated heavily into the Russian society. And so those mainland Soviet Koreans came in and started, they knew the language so they, they could communicate, but uh, the idea was that these mainland Koreans would uh, doct- indoctrinate them with the Soviet values and make them like soviet soviet people although from both sides the government didn't really make it easy for koreans to take citizenship but also koreans were not uh willing to take the russian because the soviet citizenship just because they were hoping still to go back so that lasted for a while for for decades really um and uh the first uh, contact they made was uh, in the late '80s, when the, you know, in the early '90s, when the Iron Curtain fell. So because of that, uh, I'm kind of so <laughs> coming back to the question where uh, my my family how they ended up. So my my grandpa, my um, great grandfather, ended up the same way. So he came to Sakhalin. He was one of you who came willingly, actually. So we were kind of like in this uh, case, Uh, but there were so many stories where people are uh, absolutely torn apart just because um, we were collecting the interviews and people have, they still remember their grandparents or great-grandparents crying over, you know, their small note or letter which finally reached them in the 80s from the distant relatives that they, or their relatives really, they, haven't seen for so long but in case of our family it was not as dramatic so my great-grandfather came to work in the mine but um, he um, was hoping to make some money to buy the land back in Korea and uh, yeah he was stuck just like all other Koreans and he always wanted to go back but um, as I am as I was growing up because I'm a third generation by now so would be my my grandparents came as a as kids basically and uh my my parents were born in russia already and i was born in russia by that time uh i grew up as basically more russian than korean more like russian with some little korean weird traditions at home or words that um yeah, people, uh, people wouldn't understand. But mostly, uh, it's, it's a Russian language, it's a Russian
0: mentality, even, I'd say. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why many families didn't return to Korea when Sakhalin was part of the USSR was because, if I remember correctly, Sakhalin would only send them back to North Korea, is that correct? Because that was aligned with the USSR, whereas South Korea was aligned with the United States. So there were cases when
1: USSR, uh, just to uh, shut the protests up, or the small protests, they they did send some people to North Korea, but I think it was more as a, as a it sounded like it was more like a punishment than a repatriation, because for them... Then after, because because after these people were sent to North Korea, basically their track of them is getting lost. Nobody knows what happened to them. Uh, And also there were cases, and it's more like individual cases. So there were cases when um, the North Korea was offering the citizenship and uh, repatriation, the so-called repatriation to North Korea to. To the Koreans on Sakhalin, and they were offering free education. They were saying there are opportunities in North Korea, and you have to remember, people, the the world was different back then, right? So there was no internet. People couldn't Google what is North Korea is like right now. So people believe some people believed it, and some people did go to North Korea for the education or for a better life. Um, there were cases, but. Um, one of the things that um, someone told me, and I don't know, I cannot verify if it's true or not, that there was uh, an agreement between the Koreans that if somebody goes there, agrees to go to North Korea, uh, the person supposed to write a letter, and because all the letters were, of course, censored, the letter was supposed to say, oh, I'm, it's, everything is great, come here as soon as you can. And that would be a quote for saying, do not come here. It's bad here. Uh, which is a little story, but I don't know how, if it's true or not. But uh, yeah, so there
0: were individual cases when people did go to North Korea. Wow. Um, that's that's really fascinating. And I'm curious, so you, when you grew up, when you were a young child, did you notice or do you remember anything about your community changing when the iron curtain fell or was that too were you too young to remember that yeah i would say i was probably too young i well in
1: 2000 they started the program of repatriation of south so and Koreans back to south korea they built the complex the housing complex for them they started to governmental program they started to talk about the red cross and i do remember people uh, were talking there was a lot of discussions between the households who is going who is not because to be, it was a big choice it was only the first generation who was allowed to come so for these older people in their 60s it would mean abandon everybody abandon you know the kids the grandkids and just go and leave somewhere in the country which is, was foreign by then for them and so and but everybody understood it would be a better life for them better medical care um some pension that they're going to be getting or financial aid but it wasn't repatriation for them anymore i think people were looking at it okay do i want to move or do i do i not so they were talking about staying home or going abroad for that reason so that was a big big uh discussions i remember growing up but uh yeah not not as much as the iron curtain i think i was You could say that I was already growing up in Russia, not USSR.
0: Mm -hmm. And um, it wasn't really true repatriation at that point in, you know, later on because it was too late, right? People who wanted to really repatriate, they they died by that time.
1: If they came as adults, you know, even 18, 20 years old in the 40s even... Then by the time this program started in 2000, they would be already, what, 90, right? 80, 90 years old. Do I calculate it correctly? Right. So 80 or 90 years old. And by that time, they already built their life. Sometimes there were cases, um, more than one cases, right? When people, if they left their wives uh, in Korea and they came to Sakhalin, they would remarry. They would have another family. There was nothing for them to do there. If you are moving to a new country as a young person, you're trying to build your new life, you are looking for the job, you're looking for the new friends, you know, you're looking for the new routine. For older people, they don't need that. They already have their routine established. They have their families there. So for them, coming to the new place would be like uh, sentencing themselves to idle days every day. I think I remember when people were in sixties. So that in sixties, you still considered not too old. You still have energy to do things. So for those people, it wasn't repatriation either. It was just an opportunity to leave somewhere else, which they used. Red Cross offered some programs. They were offered some touring the country. They managed to see some world. Um, normally, the income wasn't that great. Or Traveling would cost a lot, especially from the remote part of, of Russia. So they managed to enjoy some times of the life. But it wasn't the, oh, i coming home. Because even if they were in the cases where uh, my grandfather met um, some of his relatives there, some cousins or somebody that he left. But they really didn't remember each other. I mean, they didn't keep in touch for all of these years. Right? All this 40, 60 years... It wasn't like an active exchange of mail, even snail mail didn't exist. So for them, they were just strangers to each other. They, um, I think somebody told me that Korean side relatives sometimes were afraid that those Sakhalin uh, lost relatives will try to claim their land and inheritance and um, there was some tension between them. So it, it wasn't like people
0: really, it wasn't like it was 60 years ago for sure. How did you first learn about the history of Sakhalin? Like when you were growing up, what was that like for you? Was it something that was always in the background or was it something that you didn't really realize until you were older? No, I'd say this part of history, it's always, everybody knows
1: uh, at least some bits and pieces of that. Um, you, I was lucky enough that I grew up with my grandmother and uh, she didn't She didn't move to Korea when she had a chance. And so she is a big part of my like diaspora memory for me. I don't think it was ever like a big discovery for me. Uh, every now and then she would throw out bits and pieces and you would like ask more details. And so when I was growing up, I thought it's such a usual story. Everybody migrating, like all the old people's stories are interesting. So now I never thought it's something particular about it. When I grew up and I started to travel more around the places, when you travel and people like, where are you from? And you start to say and they ask more questions because I don't look Russian. Uh, They ask, wow, you don't look Russian. Or I discovered that many people didn't know at all anything about Sakhalin, especially outside of Russia. And that's when I started to realize, yeah, there is something special about that story. There was something unusual about all of that. And I started to dig more about it. And I started to think that, yeah, it's worse to be shared.
0: What are some of the things that are unique about Sakwin and the culture that's developed there because of this migration?
1: I might be talking from the point of nostalgia right now, just because I grew up there. I think it's just a perfect landscape, perfect nature. You have great seasons. Yes, it's cold in winter, but You have seaside, you have forest, you have small hills, and it's a diverse place too. You have a museum which looks like a Japanese palace, and you go inside and you learn about Russian history. All of that is so mixed up and so merged together. I mean, by now, uh, people of my age already have mixed marriages, they have, you know, mixed kids, that is everywhere, so you don't notice that much, oh, this is Korean, this is Russian. My dad even was telling me when he was growing up. So for him, he was like a second generation, right? His parents spoke with accent. They learned Russian very quickly, but definitely you heard accent. Then there were cases when, because Koreans eat so much garlic, uh Russian would say, oh, you garlic, you Korean garlic smell, or, you know, there were some things that, of course, the racist and biases. And once... People start to build this connection, and Thai start to get to know each other on personal level. Many Koreans start to work in the, you know, Russian with Russians. I think slowly Russians start to appreciate the sides of Koreans as well. How to cook Korean dishes? They start to appreciate the taste of it. Russians are making better kimchi than Koreans are making anymore. Uh, I remember at one point there were rumors that uh, some racists gonna come from mainland. are gonna start fighting with. Asians but very quickly our Russian friends were like let them try every Russian have so many Asian friends it would never happen and so the reason why I didn't notice it that much because by the time I was growing up I was completely Russian so I don't have any accent in Russian my parents don't have any accent in Russian so for the majority of our friends we are completely a part of Russia anymore
0: did you learn Korean growing up? Did your parents speak it at home? Or did you only speak Russian? Unfortunately, that's my big shame.
1: I do speak only Russian. My grandmother spoke Korean and Japanese and Russian. Uh, she would interchange between them, amazingly. And then I feel like with every generation we'll lose some. Even with the name, they decided to give me a Russian name. My dad decided she's going to live in Russia. There is no point to try to uh, drag her back into, you know, slowing her down into giving her some Korean name or why does he need Korean language,
0: really? Can you describe the first time that you went to Korea?
1: Yeah, it was uh, in the beginning of 2000, shortly after my uh, grandfather moved to, uh, use the repatriation program and moved to uh, to the village that was built by Red Cross the koreans were pressing for repatriation for so long and then finally in 2000 korea finally gave the land uh, and japan gave the money to build this housing complex for and koreans who were willing to repatriate only first generation the look was completely different i landed and i saw all of this you know black hair <laughs> around me the the sea of black hair it's like oh wow that's different to airport it was all oh wow foreign country and then the bus ride and then it's really exciting but once you come to the, nat- the the native village the homeland village you actually stopped feeling like you're somewhere abroad because the people around you they all speak russian they all like elderly people majority of them you know not majority but few of them you know and then you go from relative to relative of course to visit uh yeah for and it stopped being so
0: foreign and when your grandparents you know you're originally your first grandparents uh who ended up moving there they're the first people in your family to go to korea how did they make that decision
1: so my grandmother actually for her she was she never lived in korea so for her it was a foreign country she didn't want to go but then my grandfather really wanted to go and he said, you know what, if you don't want to go, I'm going to divorce you and I'm going to go anyway. <laughs> and uh, the kids told her that, well, if you're going to regret and you don't like it, you'll come back. I think it for both of them, it turned out to be very comfortable. The medical care was good. I don't think from anybody I'm thinking of that I know in my family, at least, I don't remember anyone being disappointed. Um... I know though that uh the one of the person I talked to, your grandfather uh was one of those people who was I guess disappointed in idleness. He wanted to go back, but once he did, he realized there was nothing to do. And for them it was a a, a big part I think for many people it was a big part of disappointment, especially as they get older and they cannot really do as
0: much. Absolutely. Yeah, and Your grandmother, who did stay, do you know anything about why she decided to stay instead of go to Korea? Yeah, I mean, uh, I
1: mean, it's uh, she's truly a role model to me in for many many reasons. She, I was actually named after her uh, on my Russian name. I mean, if you think back, she had to adapt to completely new life in USSR and being Korean. People wouldn't necessarily uh, give much attention to in the case of their career, or so. And she didn't have education, so she dropped out of school. She had to take care of her siblings, and she taught herself how to be a seamstress just by doing the clothes for her siblings. And she was she became so good at that that when she uh, started to work she managed to become one of like this governmental simstress and she was like (laughs) taking the orders from the top elite of sahlin governmental ussr people whatever so she had really strong connections and my dad was always telling me that when he was growing up he never knew this lack of produce that many soviet people experienced on themselves just because they had good connections they always could get stuff and my grandmother knew how to how to adapt i guess to the new life so she managed to build a good life for her kids and she worked really hard even as, as i was growing up and she uh she had uh, problems with health uh, at one point, she was paralyzed and uh, waist down. She couldn't walk. Um, but uh, I do remember when I was a kid that she actually she had such a strong will of power that she taught herself back to walk. Every morning, she would do make herself do some exercises, and then she would like wash the floor all on her own. She never asked any help. And then she did all of this exercises, and she eventually started to walk again. I still don't know how that, how that's possible, or what happened there. I, I don't think I know much details, but I do remember her trying, like, working really hard on herself, and that motivates me. I always, I always looked at her as a, as a role model, and I was a little bit afraid of her, and... You know, you're thinking of Russian grandmother who is always baking and stuff. She never baked when I was growing. I never remember. she If she was cooking, it was always practical cooking. It was never, like, cakes or anything. But once she start, if you start to talk to her, she would tell so many interesting, like, stories. She had no school education at all. And yet people with, you know, the... Moscow universities, engineers liked to talk to her just because she seemed like a, you know, smart and educated person and all she did, she just read books and, you know, watched things and talked to other people, but uh, she was an interesting
0: person to talk to, that's for sure. And remind me, did she live in Korea and then come to Soclin?
1: As I was told, she was born in Japan because for a short period of time, I. my Great grandfather was working uh, in Japan. And uh,
0: I think then they moved to Korea and then they moved to Sakhalin. That's, it just sounds incredible, that kind of legacy and that kind of adaptability from one place to another. I'm also curious for you if you ever, um, growing up, if you ever had a desire to explore the world outside of Sakhalin.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Uh when I was growing up, I don't think I really I don't think I really appreciated the Sakhalin as much <laughs> as I do now. So, and uh to be honest, growing up in Russia, you do realize the limited opportunities uh for many things. Uh now especially, but even back then. Um so I, I did always want to go somewhere else. I don't think I had at least narrowed down but I always wanted to leave somewhere else just to experience it to understand what it's like and to understand what's out there
0: and then how did you end up here in the United States
1: oh that's very typical story I guess for nowadays my husband is American so he works in uh, oil and gas industry and so he was brought to Sakhalin as an expert to uh, work as an engineer um, and that's how we met
0: I think you know i've learned so i've learned so much uh, in the past you know um hour that we've been chatting i'm curious just if there's any more about your life and your family history that you want to share in terms of you know this really unique history of having korean roots but growing up in russia um, and having had this historical back and forth of occupation with the Japanese occupation, any ways that you think that unique history of Sockland influenced your family and influenced the way that you understand the world? Yeah, that's
1: I guess it's a good question. It's just uh, some self-reflection required. Um, I think. I always think um back about my family as pretty open minded actually, and uh and I don't know part of that is being sucklin Korean family that have been exposed to many cultures, and it's actually funny how I see some of the actually young Americans not being not being as open <laughs> as was my you know, 70-year-old Korean grandmother. And um, as I was growing up, they always told me, I was always an idea that no matter whom I choose as, as a future partner, it will be all right. It will be always accepted as long as we have good relationships. And maybe that's the part I was so open to, to the new culture to me as well. And I was so quick to to take it in. I guess for some reason I never felt that Korean Korean culture was close to me, uh, or Russian culture or mentality at this point was close to me. So there was something else I was looking for. So I I, I guess one could wonder if that uh, influence of the mixture of the cultures impacted somehow this uh, easy addition of another mix
0: mm-hmm. yeah you think it's made you more adaptable and more open
1: uh it made me
0: less russian
1: and it made me less korean and it made me seek for something else i think when i was growing up i guess i i still felt that there is a korean mentality russian mentality and maybe it's a it's a stamped thinking and it's not right maybe i'll realize that later
0: Mm -hmm. yeah well i think that's a wonderful note to end on thank you tatiana i really appreciate this any last words or any last thoughts that you have whatever post you
1: have ask your grandparents and parents whoever is close to you about your family history it's you know when you realize that your grandparents were young at one point it's always fascinating to imagine them young and to kind of see them closer to yourself once they stop remembering things that they will be things you'll never get back
0: so much for listening if you'd like to hear more stories of family separation you can subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts and you can follow us on social media at divided families podcast thanks as always to flannel albert for that wonderful music and see you next time